All right. Good morning, Ridge Point Church. How are you doing this morning? Man, I love it when people are like yelling during worship. That was incredible. Thank you so much uh, for being here. Is everybody excited this morning? Yes, that is what I'm talking about. I'm so excited about the message today, about what God's doing in our church. Turn to someone next to you, give them the fist bump, and say, I'm excited this morning. I, now, do, I want to do something different this morning. We do something like this every Sunday. Turn to someone around you that maybe you don't know as well. Don't turn just to your family. Turn to someone you don't know so well. Give them a fist bump and say this. Say, I'm excited you're here this morning. Man. Listen, listen, we're really, really glad you're here this morning. Uh, I've loved, man, this, the beginning of this year has been just so refreshing. I heard a bunch of people coming in this morning. A couple people came up and just commented about, man, just the atmosphere, the excitement, one service, all that stuff. So thank you for those words as we try to this year generate that excitement to see, God, what happens if, if we could just get captured with with the way that you love us, the way that you invite us into your family, and if we would just grasp that and start to live the same way in the world around us. See, I was thinking about this the last couple of weeks as we were kind of anticipating this series, but I want to begin with a question this morning. I want to begin with a question. How many of you would say that, that you're here, now whether here for you is Ridgepoint Church in particular, or just church in general, because some of y'all growing up would have said, there's no way in the world I'm going to church at all. And some of y'all are here in church in general, or Ridgepoint Church in particular, because of a specific person. If that's you, raise your hand. You could point to one person. You say, man, I'm in church or I'm at Ridgepoint Church today because of one specific person. I think for most of us, our stories are something like this. At some point in our life, we intertwined with somebody. For some of us, it might have been at a young age, our parents had a profound impact on the spiritual journey that we're on. At a, at a young age, mom and dad took me to church. And because of that, I developed a culture of going to church. For a lot of us, that's not our story. For a lot of us, it was when I started getting into middle school, I had a friend invite me to youth group, or when I got into college, me and some buddies in the dorm started having some discussions about Jesus, and because of that, I started going to church. For some, it was I got into my adult years, and I had a coworker that cared about me and, and prayed for me when nobody else seemed to care about me at all. For a lot of us, we have a journey that ties back to one or two particular people. I know that's my story. You see, I grew up kind of in and out of church. My parents were, we good? It might have been me, I'm not sure. Uh, my parents were kind of in and out of church. My parents, I grew up in a, in a family that was nominally Catholic. If we went to church at all, it was normally at a Catholic church. And we didn't go very often. We were CEOs, uh, Christmas and Easter only, uh, for, for some, of, some of our time growing up. And, and, and so because of that, we'd go to church sporadically. There were seasons we'd go to church and the seasons we wouldn't go to church. But when I got into high school, I can point back to one person in my life. It was really, it was an anomaly. You wouldn't have expected him to be the one that got excited about what Jesus was doing. But my best friend, my sophomore, junior, senior years of high school was a guy by the name of Jack. And Jack was, was the exact opposite of who I was in high school. Uh, Jack didn't always make the best choices. He was captain of the high school football team. He was really, really good. He even had a chance to go play some small college football uh, and because of that, Jack would hang out with me in the neighborhood, but he also had some friends that he'd hang out with to kind of get him to do some things he shouldn't do, and Jack got in a little bit of trouble. And, and by and large, you would not have thought, because of the roughness of Jack's home life and because of the choices he was making in high school, you never would have thought that Jack would have been the one that Jesus would have grabbed hold of his life and changed him. But that's exactly what happened. 
About the time that we just got out of high school, Jack had been invited by a friend to go to church, and Jack starts going to church, and he gets radically saved. Like before that, anybody who knew Jack would have said there's one God in Jack's life, and that was football. He lived for football. When Jack got saved, he said, man, I'm giving my life to Jesus. I'm, I'm full on in this, this Jesus movement in my life. And he said, I want to show my friends and family how important Jesus is in my life. And he said, back then, we used to always have church on Sunday morning and on Sunday night. And he said, I want to get baptized on a Sunday night. Now, if you grew up in that era, you knew that like about half the people that came to church on Sunday morning came back for church on Sunday night. So if people got baptized, normally it was, I'm going to get baptized in, that first, in the early service where people are there. Jack said, no, I'm going to get baptized on a Sunday night. And not just any Sunday night. I'm going to get baptized on Super Bowl Sunday night. So now my family has a choice to make. Are they going to come see Jack get baptized or, or watch the game? But Jack said, I want to let all of my friends know just how important Jesus is. And so I'm, and I remember our pastor came up to talk to me. He says, brother, do you know what Sunday that is that you want to get baptized? And Jack said, yeah, that's why I picked it. I went that night to see Jack get baptized. At that point in my life, I wasn't going to church. But I knew this about Jack. Jack, as crazy as his life was up to that point, Jack had a faith that early on was really, really contagious. The first couple of years of him walking with Jesus, his faith was really, really, really contagious. So Jack started going to church. He started reading his Bible. He began to talk to this small circle of friends and becoming an influence in, in that sphere of, of friends. And because of that, a couple of us started going to church with Jack. And I remember going to church, and, and it was really my first encounter as it wasn't mom and dad taking me to church. This was now as a, a young adult, or almost as a young adult, I was making a choice to get in the car with my buddy and ride to church on my own. And I was getting excited about that because Jack's faith was really contagious. As I look back years later, the truth is, is the church itself wasn't very contagious. If you went into that church, and I'm sure it's like that still today, if you go into that church, it was, it was nice. Everybody was mildly friendly. It was definitely more traditional. Uh, some would say a good word was it, was it was quaint. It was a nice place to go and to feel safe. And that's okay. But I would never identify that church as being a contagious church. They might add a few people here or there, and then they lose a few people, and then there's a giant church split, and they lost a bunch of people. But Jack had a faith that was kind of a little bit different. Jack had a faith that, that brought fire that said, man, I want to see, I have been changed forever because of the grace of Jesus in my life. And I want to make sure as many people know about him as possible. Now, that particular church had some systems in place to try to help reach people. We did every Monday night, we went out on visitation, and they'd go knock on people's doors and try to invite people to church. But, but there wasn't a, we talked about the first week of this series, there, there was a, a system that was in place. There was an organization that was in place. But the faith element wasn't organic. As we've encountered at the beginning of this series, we've encountered, we've looked predominantly at the book of Acts, which is the history of the early church. Acts begins right after the resurrection of Jesus, and Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, and he's commissioning the church just to go. And as the church goes, because of the particulars of their area, they're facing a lot of persecution. 
There's a lot of the people who are in charge who say, we want to suppress the church and put the church down. We talked about last week, even Paul, the people that he was a party to, that they're saying, we don't want to see this spread because if this spreads, if this message spreads, if this movement spreads, it's really threatening to our livelihood. And so there was all this oppression, there was all of this persecution that was happening to the church, and yet... In that particular social society they were dealing with, the church began to spread like wildfire. And it wasn't that the early believers were handpicking the people who were, who were politically influential or who were immensely popular. That wasn't the point at all. In fact, the early church was made up of people. The followers of Jesus was made up of people who were just normal, everyday citizens. It was the... The welder, it was the, the stay-at-home mom, it was the people who were doing the, the menial jobs. They, they weren't really, really super important or super powerful, but they had with them this message of what Jesus had done, this event that had forever changed their life. So powerful it was that we mentioned a couple of weeks ago that what happens is there's a church that meets in Jerusalem and the leaders there start to face persecution. Stephen is martyred because of that. And the leaders say, we need to disperse. It's no longer safe here. But as we disperse and the leadership stays there, that everybody else organically starts to spread the message. Why? Because their life had been changed forever by an event. At 18 years old, my friend Jack's life was changed forever by an event. He said, I want to make sure that everybody knows I want to make sure in particular that my circle of friends really knows who this Jesus is. So he began to talk to us as much as he can, as much as he could at that point. Everybody knew his faith was sincere. His faith was real. The early church, this is what they did. The message of Jesus starts to spread. You see, prior to this, when Jesus first starts his, his three and a half years of ministry... He starts hand-selecting people to follow him, people who weren't politically influential, people who didn't have a lot of power. He starts to pick them and say, I want you guys to be my disciples. Come and follow me. And he starts to make these outrageous claims, these claims that was unlike anything else the world had ever seen, so much so that it's his claims early on that start to galvanize that small group of people. He starts to make some of these statements, and his small group of disciples, and, and especially early on, that small group of followers, they assemble, and they say, can you believe the stuff that Jesus is saying? Like, I've never heard anybody teaching like that before. I've never heard anybody teaching without authority. Can you believe some of the stuff that he's saying? And it starts to galvanize that small group of people. They say, we need to continue to spread this message. And Jesus goes, and for three and a half years... He's doing his thing, and, and at, through those three and a half years, it goes from a year of basic obs obscurity to a year where he starts to become immensely popular. The crowds start growing. People start paying attention. In the final year to year and a half, he deals with this year and a half of opposition. And as that happens, all of that for the small group of people who are loyal to him, all of those things become very galvanizing. They rally around these, these bold teachings he had. They rally around what he was trying to accomplish. And in the midst of that, he's killed. <clears throat> and if you can imagine for just a second, this small group of people committed to the cause and say, I've never encountered anything like this before. 
And now the person he looked to as leader is, is gone and he died a very brutal death. Like imagine for just a moment, if that's us, the feelings that we're experiencing of saying, man, we, we gave everything. What does this mean? And for three days, there are a bunch of questions. For three days, everybody's saying, what does this mean? Like we've literally invested our life in this guy. And is, is this the end of the story? But then on dawn of the third day, it's sounding like an Easter message right now. But on the dawn of that third day, word starts to spread. He's no longer dead. If we want to see why the message of the church was so vastly different then, it's because for those people who put their faith and confidence in Jesus, he was galvanizing, he was this leader, and he taught so differently. They started to believe his claims to be the Messiah. He was the one that God had anointed to save them. And then he was gone and then he's back. And, and for them it would have been, this is exactly why we've been created. And so it's no wonder that both the believers prior to the resurrection, who had believed and put their faith in Jesus prior to the resurrection, and also those who right afterwards says, you won't believe. You know the guy that hung up on the cross last week? I saw him walking around this week. And everyone's like, wait a minute, there's no way that's possible. There's, it's, it's easy for us to see why the early church would have been so galvanized around that message. Because for them, they put all of their faith in this event, in the resurrection of Jesus. And so I've mentioned this, but I just want to share some scripture to show what we're talking about. But I mentioned that in the first in the, first, in the book of Acts, in the first few chapters, that we see over and over and over again, God adding to the church on a regular basis, those who are truly giving their life to Jesus. In Acts chapter 4, verse 4, it says this, but many of those who, had the word, who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. So in Acts chapter 4, verse 4, it says, the number of people who came to believe came to be about 5,000. If we skip down to Acts chapter 5, verse 14, it says this, And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So we see the word thousands. We see the word multitudes being added to. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 7, it says this, And the word of the Lord continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So we're seeing words thrown around like thousands and multitudes and multiply. We're seeing these words thrown around over and over and over again. And finally, in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, I don't have time to read all of these. But in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, it says this. So the church that all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. The church itself was being built up. And it says, in walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit... It being the church multiplied. Over and over and over again, we see these words being thrown around like thousands and multitudes and multiplied. And I look at that. And then I look at the modern church today. And, and I realize that what we're encountering in Scripture is a supernatural move of God that, that we can't try to replicate that. It doesn't work that way. But also look at the early church and say, but what lessons can we learn from them? What were they doing that we don't do? Or 
what are some things that we have started to bring into the church culture that wasn't present there? Is there anything that we're doing that's a hindrance to what God is trying to accomplish? And as I look at that, as I look at the, the church and kind of where, not, not where we're at individually as a church, but just as a church in general, a church in the United States, a church globally, like what's taking place? And here's one of the things that I discovered, because I love, I've shared this multiple, multiple times here at Rich Point Church, but, but I love just to learn, I love to people watch, I love to see how people respond in different situations. What's happening in the early church is there's a bunch of persecution that's taking place. But... Within a few hundred years, Christianity has gained a popularity. It starts to become, instead of being persecuted, it, it ends up being accepted by the established leaders and government. And it starts to become the predominant religion. And I think along the way, we have a tendency when we start to gain in popularity and, and gain in, in even sometimes in freedoms, it, it has a tendency to allow us to either change the message or maybe become, become a little bit lazy in, in how we apply that message. And we can look at, even today, some countries where Christianity is still facing opposition. Countries today where Christianity is still facing persecution, and we can see. I read a story at the end of last year where in China right now, China once again is facing religious persecution. It's illegal to go to China and buy a Bible over the internet. Like, that's entirely illegal. You can't have crosses. You can't have any of those things. The, the churches have to be recognized by the state Right before Christmas, China came in and said, we're abolishing a bunch of churches. And literally right before Christmas, these believers are, are scattering, trying to figure out how are we going to assemble together, even to celebrate our, our big time Christmas services. They're facing persecution. It's an environment where everyone would say, that's how Christianity is going to be squashed, is the persecution it faces. And yet today, the church in China is thriving. By some estimates, there are more than 30 million believers in China who are gathering underground at this grassroots level saying we believe so much in the message of Christianity that we want the message of Christianity to spread. And just like in the early church where they had to, the early church started to spread, sometimes underground the believers were dispersed from Jerusalem saying we have to go and we have to hide out. But wherever we go, whatever land we go to, we're going with the message of the hope of Jesus because we believe not in a word, we believe in an event. And that event has forever marked us and has forever changed our lives. So when we compare these two things, when we compare the early church to where we're at what are some things? See, when we have a tendency to play it safe, when, when Christianity becomes popular and, and we can kind of come into, you know, when it first was recognized by Rome and later on as we established our country and we have freedom and there's not the persecution, I think we have a tendency, just observing people, we have a tendency to gravitate away from some things that made the church really powerful and was at the core of the movement. The first one, two things I want to mention. The first one is this. When we play it safe... We change the message that Jesus came to proclaim. See, the message that Jesus came to proclaim was never meant to be safe. But when we play it safe, we have a tendency to, to, sorry. I can't even touch that right now. It's really hot. Do I need to switch? We'll try one more time. When we play it safe, we change the message that Jesus came to proclaim. 
See, at some point, the message of the early church was anchored to one thing. It was anchored to the event. In fact, in the first couple hundred years of the spread of Christianity, they didn't have the New Testament completed yet. It wasn't assembled together as a, as a series of documents assembled together to proclaim that message. All they had to go on was, we followed this guy, Jesus. And if he was who he claimed to be, then he was the Messiah. And we believed that he was Messiah because he predicted his own death and his resurrection. And because of that, because he predicted his death and resurrection, which, by the way, 2,000 years later, we have incredible proof of, of those two events. So the early church says, we're going to galvanize around that idea. And that message is what we want to spread to the world around us. That Jesus, the Messiah, was dead and that he's alive. And because of his resurrection, he has defeated death. He's defeated, he's defeated sin. And now we want to proclaim that message to the world. We want that to be the thing we rally around. We want that to be the thing that we support. And we want that to be the message that the world begins to hear. Now, we fast forward a couple thousand years and we're living in the United States where we have a lot of freedoms. And I'm thankful for those freedoms. But sometimes I think there's a message, whether intended or unintended, I'm not sure. But there's a message change. You see, if, if we were to ask the average person today, I won't ask the average person in Ridgepoint Church, that might be a different answer entirely. Hopefully. But if we were to ask the average person on the street today, what does it mean to be a Christian? They'd probably say some things like, well, I guess if you're a Christian, it means, I don't know, you go to church. I guess if you're a Christian, you probably do some good things. You probably read your Bible. You probably pray a little bit. There's probably some things that you don't do. There's some things, I don't know what they are, but I know there's some things that Christians aren't supposed to do. And so the old adage was that you don't smoke, you don't drink, you don't chew, and you don't date girls who do. Something like that. <laughs> and Christianity became known as this idea that Jesus came to deliver people from being really, really bad to maybe marginally bad or maybe even Jesus came to make them good. And at some point we made Christianity, I don't think it was an intended shift, I don't think that it was intentional at all, but unintentionally we started to make the message of Jesus about, well, if I could just start to take some of the bad things out of my life and start to replace them with some of the good things, that that's what being a, a Christian is. And I know that because if you were to ask someone right now, hey, would you want to go to church with me? You know what the number one question people ask? If you invite them to go to church, you know what the number one question they have for you is? What do I need to wear? Like if I go to church, what do I need to wear? Now I know culture is changing a little bit and most churches are starting to adopt that you don't have to come into church. But for me, when I was 19 years old and my friend Jack invited me to church, it was expected. For a young guy who was in college who had no money at all, it was expected. If you're going to show up at church, you're supposed to wear, like if you're spiritual, if you're really spiritual, you're going to be wearing a suit and a tie. And so I went through the motions of adopting that, thinking that's how it's supposed to be. And so I went out and I bought a pair of pants and a dress shirt and a tie and, and this really, really ugly jacket. My wife can attest to how ugly that jacket was. That's kind of, I think, what church folk was doing back then. I bought this ugly jacket, and, and I started going to church because I thought, man, this is what it means. This is what it's about. 
I'm going to start to go to church. My friend invited me to go to church, and I asked him, Jack, I'll go to church with you, but how should I dress? Listen, here's the thing. That's not what makes a person a Christian. However people want to dress, they should feel comfortable coming to church to dress that way. We say, well, don't wear those hoochie mama shorts at church. And I say, you know what? Jesus didn't ask the woman at the well to change before he came to her. And we shouldn't either. Some of y'all are like, I can't believe he's talking about hoochie mama shorts in church. What's going on? But, but here's the thing. Listen to me for a second. Jesus didn't ask the woman at the well to fix herself before coming to him. And we shouldn't either. Watch this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to turn to in just a second. But I want to begin in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. Laying the foundation for where we're going in chapter 2. In verse 126, we've already said this. He says this, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, one of the churches he visited on one of his many missionary journeys, this one is the second missionary journey, he says this, For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble, noble birth. He says, listen, God didn't call a bunch of you who had noble backgrounds. Not many of you were wise, and people didn't know who you were, but God called you to spread this message. And then he says at the beginning of chapter 2, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. He said, I, I knew that we were common people. I knew that some of y'all were from Polk County. And so because of that, I wasn't going to use big words. That's what he's saying. That's the Polk County translation. But that's what he's saying there. He's saying, I didn't come using big words to impress you with how smart I was. He said, instead, I decided to, to know nothing about you. Except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, I didn't come to impress you with my lofty speech. I came to know one thing, whether or not you knew Jesus. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. My speech, my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but a demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. He said, I wanted your faith to be contagious. But your faith wasn't going to be contagious if it was just done in the wisdom of man. At some point, I'm afraid that we started to, even in our church culture, we started to lean on the wisdom of, of man and how we do this. And I'm not faulting anyone because I think we all do this, but a lot of times we say we want to reach our friends, and here's how we want to reach our friends. We say, hey, you know what? I'd love for you to come to church. If you come to church, like our band is incredible. Like come to church, you're going to love it. And that's, that's the conversation. That's where it is. Everybody says, yeah, we know that. Like across the city, we know, man, Rich Point's band, they're incredible. Or come to church. If you come to church, I know this. Your kids are going to love church. Whether in elementary, if they're even younger than elementary, elementary, middle school, high school, your kids are going to come in and find a, a great place to come, and you're going to love it. If you come into church, man, the atmosphere on Sunday morning, it's electric. You're going to love it. These are the course of our conversations. We say, if you come to church, you're going to meet the friendliest group of people you could ever meet, especially that guest service team because they're rowdy and crazy. 
especially Crystal over there. She's really crazy. Like we, we learned out a little bit this morning for some we're in a good service meeting. Like, like man, come there and it's friendly and it's engaging. Like we, people are gonna, people are gonna love you. Come to church. Like our pastor, he's really funny. He's on point. And he's immensely good looking. Like if you come to church, you're <laughs> some of those things, it's a sliding scale of truth on how truthful those things are. But, 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 but the point being that we have a tendency to stay where things are safe. Because none of those conversations are really confrontational. But here's the thing, as much as I believe most of the statements that I said were true, here's what I need to let you know, Jesus is more. Jesus is more than all of that. And so our conversation, even though I know the natural tendency and the safe way to do it is to say, hey, come to church because I really, really like our church, and I do. But that isn't what delivers people. What delivers people is the same message the early church had. The hope of the resurrection. See, Jack didn't convince me at 19 years old to go to church because our church had really good music. I kid you not, within three months, I was in the choir. I guarantee they didn't have good music. Jack didn't convince me to go to church because the people were really, really friendly. I think there was one person in the church that was really, really friendly. Jack didn't convince me to go to church because of any of the other list of things that, he, that I mentioned earlier. Jack convinced me to go to church because I saw how Jesus had changed his life. Sometimes I think we get to a spot of being safe and our faith becomes no longer contagious because we get away from what Paul was trying to teach. He said, I determined nothing to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. The second thing is, the first one was that we have a tendency to change the message when we play it safe. And the second thing is when we've changed the message, I think we have a tendency to lose the appreciation. You see, I said earlier that up until this point, it was all about an incremental change in people's lives. I used to be really, really bad. And now I've replaced some of those bad things I used to do. I used to cuss a whole lot. Now I cuss, just not as much. And we think there's like this incremental change that takes place. And for a lot of us, we say, that's good. I mean, this is, this is who I used to be, and, and I'm not as bad as I used to be. I might not be good, but there's been this incremental change in my life. And listen, Jesus is here to change your life. I'm not saying that. But when it comes to just changing us from being bad to being not as bad or changing us from bad to being good, for many of us, it's an incremental change. For some of you, you grew up living a relatively moral lifestyle. You had some friends who got into a lot of trouble like my buddy Jack did, and, and you didn't get into those same, same situations. You didn't get in as much trouble. So when Jesus delivered you, it wasn't like you were a really, really bad person by the world standards, and he made you a really, really good person. If you looked at just the world standards, you lived a fairly moral lifestyle. But see, the change that takes place when we talk about moving from bad to not so bad or bad even to good is an incremental change. And compared to the glory of God, we have all fallen short. But Jesus didn't come to change us from an incremental change where I was bad. Now there's a sliding scale as to how bad, that I, how bad I am now. 
Jesus came to change us from being dead to being alive. And unlike the sliding scale bad versus good, you could take someone who's, who's really bad and make them a little bit less bad, but they're still bad. There's a sliding scale, and there might be a daily change from one area of our life to another, but when it comes to being dead and alive, there is no, I'm partially dead. I'm either dead or I'm alive. And Jesus said, the moment that you make a decision to follow me, at that point, you move from death to life. And as soon as that happens, as soon as that happens, the faith that we have You see, Jack wasn't perfect. Even after Jesus, there were some parts of Jack's life that were a little bit chaotic. But Jack said this. Jack said, man, I used to be dead, and now I'm alive. And I I want everybody to see Jesus in my life. So here's our litmus test, and here's the tough one. I asked this early this morning, at the beginning of the message. How many of us could point to one or maybe two people in our life that were instrumental in us being here. If I were to flip that question around right now, if I were to ask you how many people here would say, I know there's one or two people that are at church today because of my influence. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on that one. Because that one is a lot more prime, that's a lot more personal. How many people could look at it right now and say, yeah, I know because of the power of what Jesus did in my life, that God's allowed my testimony, my story, my witness to change someone's life? See, a study was done fairly recently, the last couple of years, where they asked a question of people who consider themselves Christians. How many of you think that, you, that it's the responsibility of people who follow Jesus to share their faith? And a good majority, more than three-quarters of the people surveyed said, yeah, I believe it's the personal responsibility of everybody who's a follower of Jesus to have a contagious faith. And they said, okay, and how many of you are actually doing that? And the number was somewhere below 30%. So we know that this is a vital part of our faith. And we have a tendency to say, if I could just learn a system that makes it easy, if I could just learn... A, a, a model to have an approach to how to talk to people. And we're going to talk a little bit about that next week. We've talked about the why last week, the what this week. And next week we'll talk about the how. But here's the thing. I've, I've been a part of churches where they had a super, or the first church I mentioned, they had a super organized approach to here's our process of trying to do this within the context of a 1980s style church. And they tried to do that, but it wasn't contagious. We're going to talk about next week how in our world, in our sphere, in our time in 2019, how do we begin to, to have those discussions? Because I believe for most of us, our desire to have contagious faith. And Jesus wasn't using people who were super qualified and who knew a bunch of scripture. Jesus was using the common people to spread the message of Jesus. And so the test is, if I were to ask a question, I want to ask you to raise your hand, but if I ask a question today, how many of you know someone right now that isn't in church somewhere? Every one of us would say, well, yeah, I know somebody. Then it's on us. And the early church said, wherever we go, there's a lot of stuff for us to converse about. There's a lot of stuff for us to get excited about. But we know this, Jesus used to be dead, and he's alive. 
And because of that, he took me who was dead. Not that I was a bad person or that I was a good person. He took me who was dead. And by the way, I deserved to be dead. But he paid an incredible price. When I couldn't save myself, he paid an incredible price to save me. And because of that, I now live in a gratitude to the events of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And I live with that message on my lips wherever I go. I believe if we did that as a church, if we had that contagious faith, we might not see the book of Acts because that was a supernatural work of God. But there's some elements of that that we could see on a regular basis of God, the same contagious faith. Let's pray together. God, I thank you this morning for energy and for excitement. God, I thank you for the the passion that you bring into our midst. God, I thank you for a great band. I thank you for excited guest service workers and, and people back in the booth who don't get enough credit. God, I thank you for children's workers who are back with kids right now and youth workers that will be loving on students tonight. God, I thank you for everyone who uses those gifts as I think we should, as the church is supposed to respond. But God, above all of that, above everything, I thank you for the, for the way that Jesus lived his life, the way that he offered his life and died a very tragic death. And I thank you most importantly for the hope of his resurrection. God, as that message began to spread, the church grew like wildfire. God, I pray that today we would see that same thing happen in our midst. God, not just a pocket, not just a a, a small sample, but God, we would see your spirit move and change people's lives. God, I pray, I believe there's someone here this morning that needs to know the goodness and the greatness of who Jesus is. They need to come face to face with the hope that his resurrection provides. And so God, my prayer right now is for that person or for those people who don't know Jesus or who came in like Chris prayed for this morning and they came in with a lot of questions about who Jesus is or or what they believe. God, I pray that today not because we use powerful words or because we bring a lot of wisdom, but because of the power of the resurrection that they encounter Jesus for the first time and that his hope becomes their hope. God, let this be the day, let this be the time. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.